Welcome to the Besties with Breasties podcast. Sarah Hall here. I am a certified health and wellness coach, athletic trainer, mom, and breast cancer survivor. I help women overcome their own mind drama to make mind shifts that open up the possibility for their most empowered and energetic life. And I am Beth Wilmus, author, speaker, and founder of a human investment organization, otherwise known as a nonprofit called Faith Through Fire. Our mission is to reduce the fear and anxiety that breast cancer patients feel and replace it with hope and a path toward thriving. This podcast is about our experiences with breast cancer and life after as young survivors and moms. Good morning. Hello. How are you? Good. I'm so Um, frazzled. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, you did have a little bit of a I, like jump in start I came, today. I came in like a hurricane this morning. <laughs> yeah. Luckily for me, my counterpart here was Ms. Zen and I was able to pull it together. <laughs> yes, we got this. No big deal. So we are excited today. We have a guest with us. Her name is Sarah and she is going to join us briefly to to share her story about breast cancer and her experience with having a hysterectomy and an ophorectomy after she was done with treatment. Yeah. So we're going to start with just why Sarah's doctor recommended surgery, what her recovery was like, how she felt afterward. And then she's going to share about what life was like, what life is like now, and what she wants others to know before considering surgery. Right. But before we dive in, let's hear from our first sponsor. Hair loss is consistently ranked as one of the most feared side effects of chemotherapy treatment. The emotional impact chemo hair loss can have on patients has been well documented. Scalp cooling is a simple treatment that can prevent hair loss caused by certain chemotherapy drugs. The use of scalp cooling is proven to be effective in preventing chemotherapy-induced alopecia and can result in people retaining much of their hair. Paxman is the global leader in scalp cooling. Their cold cap is scientifically proven to reduce hair loss during chemotherapy. If you are facing cancer treatment and concerned about losing your hair, Ask your provider about scalp cooling and visit our website at www.coldcap.com. Okay, and we're back. Let's do a hello. Hello, Sarah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Let's talk about when you were diagnosed. So you were diagnosed at the age of 45 in October of 2019. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. October of 2019. So what was your official diagnosis and treatment plan, Sarah? My official diagnosis was breast cancer. I had invasive ductal carcinoma, and I believe it was stage two or grade two, and went through all of the things that we have to go through before surgery, had a biopsy, well, first an ultrasound and a biopsy. And then had my double mastectomy the day before Thanksgiving. I think it was November 28th, 2019. Okay. So about a month after you were diagnosed, I think that was how I was too. About Mm -hmm. a month after I got diagnosed, I had my double mastectomy. Yeah. So so is your breast cancer hormone positive? It is. Yes. I was hormone positive. So I had to... I'm currently taking medicine. I'm sure we'll get to that, but I take medicine, a little pill every night for the next five to 10 years. So did you have a hysterectomy and an ophorectomy? I think they call that a complete hysterectomy. Is that I did. I think it's a total or radical. Okay. When did your doctor bring that idea up for those surgeries, Sarah? 
You know, I've had two oncologists. And the only reason I've had two is because my first one retired. He was wonderful. But when we were talking about my treatment plan in the beginning, you know, since I was hormone positive, I was going to have to have shots every month Mm -hmm. for about six years. You know, so for, and that's just, that was to suppress my ovaries so they wouldn't produce estrogen. Right. And so for about a year and a half, about a, yeah, about a year and a half, I did get those shots a monthly. And, you know, that's something that wasn't very fun. And so I, you know, but I, I did it cause I had to. Yeah. Sarah and, so, and I, Sarah and I actually just videotaped Sarah <laughs> getting her, her, uh, her, yesterday. Zo- her Zolodex shot. She had her appointment for her monthly shot. And I said, you know, we should videotape this so that women can see. And not just like, obviously as a survivor, like survivors know, mm-hmm. we know what it looks like, right? Yeah. We get it. Every- but when you go for that first one, it is like, well, it's, and it's you, scary. And if you look at the needle, like I got a good shot of that needle head. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I never look at it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's substantial. So yeah. we actually just, I think we're going to post that on the Facebook page, but it is, I mean, every single month you're in that chair getting that shot. So yeah. that's, that's kind of where you found yourself and you were not loving that. Is that kind of why the conversation came up about maybe having the surgery so you wouldn't have to do that? Yes. And, you know, I got lidocaine with that. So it really, you know, just to tell your listeners, it really wasn't as pain. It The needle is scary, but it wasn't as painful as it would seem to yeah, be. Yeah, we don't think it's especially, as bad as it looks for sure. Especially, yeah. especially if you get the lidocaine. Actually, we had this conversation. I had the conversation with my first oncologist before I even got my first shot when we were discussing the treatment plan. He said, now you're going to have to come in for these shots once a month for however many years, eventually down the line, you may want to consider getting your ovaries out to avoid having to do that. So was it more about avoiding the shot or was it more about, did they mention lowering your risk of recurrence? Both. Okay. It was, you know, he said, eventually you're not going to want to be coming in every month to do this. So you may an easy way to avoid that is to have your ovaries removed. Is this a male doctor? It was a male doctor. And he said it also would, you know, it's like the best thing you can do. He said most doctors wouldn't, they just say get the shot. But if you want the very best and lowest chance of recurrence, you know, that's that's the way to go. Were you having any symptoms of perimenopause? Like, were you you, were the shots giving you symptoms? Yeah. Or, Or even before you were diagnosed? You know, I think I was. It's it's funny because I was I was talking to my gynecologic oncologist who who did my hysterectomy. You know, when they went in and actually took everything out, I had cysts. It looked like I had endometriosis, or I did have endometriosis. So I had all this stuff going on that had never been diagnosed before. Mm-hmm. But once they did the hysterectomy and looked at my uterus, my ovaries, you know, she's like. You, you know, you needed to have those taken out. So it was actually a blessing in disguise. So no, I mean, I I, I think before I was diagnosed, I, I did have problems with very heavy bleeding with periods and very heavy bleeding. And so I had been talking to my OBGYN about pain and, you know, we were, in fact, she had written me a prescription for an ultrasound but before I could get that done, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. So that kind of went out the window. Mm, yeah. So, and to answer your question, I did go in, once I started getting the shots, my period stopped and, you know, I was in menopause. 
Did you have any issues when you were on the shots with hot flashes or any anxiety or depression or anything like that when you were getting the shots? Like some of us have some of those symptoms, some of us weather it a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. What was it what was it like for you to get those shots? Did you notice a big change? I did get hot flashes and my doctor prescribed Effexor, which is an antidepressant, which kind of helped both things because I know I was going through some depression and with having to deal with breast cancer and it did help with the hot flashes. And this was before you had the hysterectomy? Yes. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So before we talk about what your recovery was like and how you felt after the procedure, do you guys want to do boobs in the news? Yes. Let's do it. All right. Boobs in the News is a segment where we read funny tweets from real people or ridiculous news stories. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. Boobs in the News. Today's boob must actually prefer to live behind bars. Okay. A 33-year-old guy named Cordell in Arkansas. Okay. I always want to say Arkansas. That's funny. I have a boobs uh, story that starts in Arkansas, too. Oh, well, what does that say about Arkansas? I don't know. It's like Florida. All, <laughs> all of the boobs are Sorry in Florida. Sorry, anybody's from Arkansas. And Florida. <laughs> so he got out of jail this mo- the other morning. And when he got outside to the parking lot, he didn't have a ride home. Did so he steal a car? He stole a marked police SUV to drive himself home. <laughs> Cops easily traced the car to Cordell's apartment, where they found him inside. Stop. And then, of course, they arrested him again. Oh, my God. I don't think his stay in jail made him rethink his life of crime. You know what? I think <laughs> here's my here's what I'm going to suppose about Cordell is that you know how in the movies they always have the jailbirds and then they finally get released after like 30 years and they're like, I don't know how to make it on the outside. Yeah. That might be Cordell. Yeah. Because he sure. probably like walked out the jail doors and he's like, wait a minute. I was getting three square meals a day. <laughs> I had a bed. Yeah. You know, he might I got have, no car. He might have take a, your car. He might have had a really friendly roommate. Yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm going I'm going back. Yeah. Oh, my Maybe. gosh. Cordell. Aww. Cordell. Aww. Cordell. Yes. Well, you the boob. You the boob. All right. Cool. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. Bibs in the news. We're back. Wait, Sarah, when you woke up from surgery, what was that like? How did you feel? Okay. So when I woke up, I was out of it and didn't really... Actually, to be honest with you, I don't even really remember... It was kind of like when I had my uh, mastectomy, I don't really remember waking up. I remember talking to a nurse about something, but I didn't feel any pain. I was still under anesthesia. And the worst part of waking up was I had a sore throat from the In- being intubated. the tube that yeah. they put down my throat. Got it. How, how long were you in the hospital? It was outpatient. So mm-hmm. I went home that day. And my wonderful husband was there for me and brought me home and got me in bed, you know, so I was comfortable on the medicine that that they provided. How did the discomfort compare to, say, like a mastectomy? Was it minimal or was it how did you feel physically? Physically, in the beginning, I was fine. I was up like the next day kind of walking around and I I remember thinking, oh my gosh, this is so easy. Mm. You know, I should have done this earlier. (laughs) (laughs) I guess that was because I was still on pain meds. You know, I don't, I didn't really want to take the opioids. So I I was fine with like Tylenol and ibuprofen, like the nerve, you know, Gabby Penton, that's a nerve pain medicine that they give you. So yeah, for the first few days I was fine. 
So once kind of all that wore off, what, you know, what were the next couple weeks, couple months like for you? They were horrible. Like the bottom dropped out of me. You know, we all thought that when I say we, I'm talking about me and my doctors, my oncologist, my surgeon, we all thought, oh, you know, you've been on these hormone suppressors for a year and a half. You're in menopause, you know, taking your ovaries out won't really affect you mentally. You know, like Mm -hmm. you've already been through the, because when I first started the shots, you know, I had a period of like, I had hot flashes and like mood swings, you know, I, so I had kind of already been through that, mm-hmm. you know, in the weeks after my hysterectomy, my bottom just fell out of me. Like, and I, and I think it was cause like all of my hormones were gone mm-hmm. now. It was not good. Yeah. That's part of the reason we wanted to share people's stories is because I think a lot of people are under the impression that it's going to be exactly the same as the Mm -hmm. ovarian suppression shots. And it would make sense if it was, but that's Mm -hmm. not really what we're hearing. And, you know, it's so interesting that you you even like describe it that way, because I feel like that's the exact same way that most women describe that feeling after their hysterectomy is the bottom dropped out. I think we're going to have a special guest on, you know, in a couple episodes where she has always described it to me as like the rug got pulled out from underneath her and she like couldn't even find her feet anymore. So like just the bottom dropping out, like it just. What does that look like, like, Sarah? What is the bottom dropping out? What does that look like for you? What does that mean? For me, it meant spending like literally days and sometimes a week in bed crying all the time. Mm. Like I could not control my emotions. Mm. I was miserable. I was so unhappy. And I kept asking my husband and even my doctors, like, when is this going to stop? Is this going to stop? Am I going to live like this the rest of my life? What were your doctors saying at that point? They were saying, I mean, I was at that point I was seeing this. Okay. So this was like a few weeks after the hysterectomy. And I was, I was just really, really bad. And so I was going into all my doctors, my oncologist, the surgeon, the gynecologist, oncologist who did the hysterectomy. I saw a psychiatrist who gave me antidepressant medicine, actually upped the effects her and I was on something else. And you were crying out for help. You're like, somebody mm-hmm. yeah. hear what's happening oh, yeah. here. And I, like, you know, you were very proactive in saying something's not right. Was your was your OBGYN oncologist like, were they surprised by this? Did you do you feel like they kind of told you this was this could be a possibility? She was actually quite surprised because I was so bad and she'd never seen anyone so bad before. Mm-hmm. And because I had been on the shots for so long, none of us thought that it would be this bad. I mean, she warned me in advance that, you know, you're going to experience more of the hot flashes, you know, more of the things that happened when you first started the shots. But no one thought that it was going to be as bad as it was. Mm -hmm. And I have to give credit to my surgeon, my gynecologic oncologist. She was wonderful. I mean, she checked in with me all the time Mm -hmm. and had me come in and was just absolutely wonderful. Is it fair to say then that most of the, most of your experience was more on the emotional mental health side than the physical side? Or did you also have physical side effects that were exasperated by this? It was both. It's normal to bleed and to have cramping after a hysterectomy, 
but mine didn't stop. And so, you know, after like two, three weeks of bleeding, not, uh, now not heavy bleeding. It's, it's, it's a little heavier in the beginning, but you know, two, three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, I'm still spotting and I'm cramping. So that's causing me even more anxiety. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it got so bad that all of my doctors told me to get out of town and go somewhere sunny. <laughs> so I could like, just get away. And so my husband closed down his business. We packed up the car and drove down to my parents' place in Georgia and mm. sat on the beach for 10 days and did nothing. Did that help? And Oh yeah. It helped. It helped him. And I mean, it was like amazing. It, I think I needed like vitamin D. I needed the sunlight. I needed to get away. And the fact that my husband did that for me, was amazing. Yeah. You know, we brought our dogs and so we'd walk on the beach every day with the dogs and, mm. you know, so it was very, there was zero stress mm -hmm. and that really helped a lot. Yeah. And, and my husband forced me to get out, you know, he was like, we're not, we're not going to drive down there and just stay in bed all day. You're getting up and you're going to do stuff. And of yeah. course I'm like, well, what if I don't want to? He's like, you know, you're getting up. So he forced <laughs> me to get up and like go to the beach. And most people would be like, you're crazy. Like, why did someone have to force you to do that? But yeah. you know, when you're, when you're in this mental state mm -hmm. and I, I just, I describe it as like the only place I wanted to be was in bed. It was like a cocoon for me. Like, mm -hmm. but I, all I would do is cry. I'd cry and then I'd fall asleep mm. and then I'd wake up and I'd be in pain and I'd be bleeding and I feel awful. It was like an impending like doom or dread. So you said you had that procedure done in March, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And we're in July. So how long did that go on? And was there, first of all, were you surprised by all this? I mean, it probably took you by great surprise. I mean, your doctor had warned you there'd be a few symptoms, but you were not prepared for this. And I'm sure that was very scary. Mm -hmm. It was very scary. And my doctors were very scared for me. That's never good, right? When your doctors are scared, you're like, that, <laughs> no, 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 you're not supposed to be scared. <laughs> no, I, should, I shouldn't say that. I should say my doctors were very concerned and very sure. like caring and checking in on me like that mm -hmm. kind of, you know, so I shouldn't say scared. I think I they were just concerned. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I think honestly, I was the first one to do this to this doctor. You know, I would go into her and just be like crying and I wouldn't even be making sense. And I think she was just like, you know, it was the honestly probably the first patient that this had happened to with her. And she was just very caring and loving and helped me through it. But so I guess we went to the beach like four weeks in, four weeks, you know, after the actual hysterectomy and that helped. We came back and I was feeling a little better and then it kind of got bad again because I started cramping and bleeding, mm. but eventually I had to go back to work, you know? Mm. So I kind of, you know, just said, well, going to go back to work. And I did. And now you love your work, right? So was that a, was that hard for you because you felt like staying in bed all day or was it a distraction and did it help you? It helped me. It helped you. Yeah. Okay. It was a distraction. My husband said it was the best thing for me. Mm -hmm. Getting, you know, getting out of bed, having a place to go, uh, having wonderful colleagues. And, you know, I didn't sit and cry all day at work. I actually like did, you know, did my job and I'd come home. And, and at that point, that was about six weeks after my procedure. At that point, really the, the crying and the despair had kind of waned. So I think my anxiety 
was more about that at that point. All right. Well, before I want to kind of talk about what life looks like for you right now, Sarah. But before we do that, let's go to our second sponsor. SSM Health is a proud sponsor of the Besties with Breasties podcast. One in eight women will be diagnosed with breast cancer during their lifetime. Early detection is key and keeping up to date on yearly mammograms could be life-saving. At SSM Health, we offer patients in the St. Louis area online scheduling for mammograms, including next-day appointments. Visit ssmhealth.com slash schedule ma'am to make your appointment now. And we're back. So let's talk about life now. What's life like now? We're we're five, six months, six months out, six yeah. months out. What how I wanted to I also wanted to point out, you know, we have talked about before in our emotional fallout series that we did about how like the timing of this, Sarah, kind of fell like four or five months after your year diagnosis anniversary. So, you know, we talk mm, about how the emotional point. fallout happens at about a year after you've been diagnosed. So the the timing of everything kind of coincided. You That's know, with- an interesting point, because we do talk about that, that that typically within that year time frame after you complete treatment is when people have that bottom fallout. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then if you compound that with a, a surgery such as this where you're really drastically going into menopause Mm -hmm. overnight Mm -hmm. i mean i could see how this could be tenfold yeah Yeah. that's really interesting i wonder if doctors give that any consideration because i mean i've talked to medical professionals that know that women struggle emotionally after they're done with treatment so i wonder if that's ever a consideration like hey you know we know that it's an adjustment Mm -hmm. you know transitioning into survivorship let's put a pause on this yeah until until everything kind of evens out yeah, I will say that, you know, that year mark, because then I was, you know, going through that second surgery. Mm-hmm. I will definitely acknowledge that there's a point at which you realize, like, I don't know, like, where is everybody gone? And for me, it was like I was seeing the same people and they're wonderful people, very caring people. And, you know, now I'm now I see them like once every six months mm-hmm. and it's kind of like, OK, where's everybody gone? Yep. Nobody asked me, you know, it's like. Yeah, that transition like, that transition to survivorship is a is is tough. Yeah. For that for that tough. reason. It is tough because you kind of feel like, okay, I'm thinking about this every day. I'm thinking, okay, is my cancer gonna come back? Mm-hmm. You know, what what do I need to do to make sure it doesn't come back? And and you have that constant reassurance when you're going in to see people that you know care about you and are your providers and well, you're doing your something. nurses and the relationships that you have. And now all of a sudden, like those people aren't there face to face with you all the time. And you're only you're like left alone with your thoughts. And right. Like that's when it's like a little mm-hmm. jarring and <laughs> uh, frightening to be alone, to be kind of in the dark. It so. is. Yeah. So, Sarah, you did so much. You know, you have an incredibly supportive husband who kind of like Jack knifed you out of bed to make sure that you you did what was right for you and and put life on pause to make sure that you found this healthy place and you have a job that you love going to and kind of feed your soul mentally and physically and so what is you know all this work that you've done to get to where you are now what is life like for you now what do you what do you need to know daily to make sure that you stay in a in a good healthy place well i will say about 2 weeks ago i contacted my gynecologist on, you know, my surgeon, my hysterectomy surgeon who, and I'm like, listen, I'm still bleeding. I'm still cramping. What's going on. Please help me. She scheduled an appointment. 
and they did all these tests and they actually found the source of the bleeding, which was amazing because I thought at some points I was going crazy because I may bleed. Yeah. I would, spot, when I say bleed, I was like spotting, yeah. you know, I may spot for a couple of days, then I wouldn't, but they found the source and they cauterized it. They also bought, not biopsied it, but cultured it mm. and sent that off and did a pap smear, even though I don't have a cervix, they still did that yeah. just to find out what was going on. All those tests came back normal. Mm-hmm. So, and after they cauterized where it was bleeding, it was like a tear. I haven't bled since. Yay. <laughs> just knowing that everything's okay and the bleeding has stopped, I feel a lot better. So now I'm I'm really doing a lot better and re- actually don't even really think about it anymore. Are you glad that you had the surgery? Do you feel more peace of mind knowing that you had it done? Yes, I am very glad that I had the surgery now. You know, but at the same time it does it does change your body and again, you know, I think that women should definitely talk to their doctors about what, you know, what their body is going to be like post hysterectomy, because it's def- it's not the same. And I'm specifically talking about like sex and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah, painful, it, painful intercourse is where I assume you're, you're talking about dry, painful in- intercourse. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep, that that exists when you're on the Zolodex shot or the shots. So mm-hmm. that's just something right. that women need to be aware of. That when you have yeah. this surgery, that is going to be a permanent side effect. And I, and I right. think what I what I hear from you is just like making sure that you understand all sides of the, the equation, mm-hmm. and you know, like what you're getting yourself into, and making sure that you're equipped. Like you are, you have a supportive husband, and you've got you had some medical health per, or mental health professionals in your corner, and have making sure that those are all in place. Um, yeah, you know, I think you, you did all decisions. the right things, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, you sure. immediately knew something was wrong. You went to all your doctors to say, hey, this something's not right. You you had good social support. Yeah, you, you know, you had good medical yourself. care. Mm-hmm. You you got mental health help, which is so critical. I mean, you're doing all the right things. And so I think for that reason, you know, you're just going to get stronger and better over time. But yeah. I do think it's important that women understand that you, you can't. Do you think, I mean, Sarah, would you say that it's fair to say that you come out of something like that, you realize you can't do it alone? Yes, you can. I couldn't have done it alone. And I know you, you're a very strong person. So, and I feel that way about myself. Like I'm a very strong person. If anybody thought they could do it alone, it would be me. Um, (laughs) But, but that is, this is not the time to sit there and do something like that alone. Yeah, correct. I definitely agree. You definitely have to have a support system that will help you through this. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story and coming on and talking with us. Yeah, being very vulnerable. Next time on the podcast, we are going to talk to another survivor about her experience with surgery after breast cancer. Until next time, guys. See ya. If you are a breast cancer survivor and you love Besties with Breasties, make sure you join our survivorship support network at faiththroughfire.org to gain access to exclusive episodes that are ad-free and uncensored.